After a couple of decades of working with literally thousands of people with bad habits, vices, obsessive behaviors, addictions to substances, alcoholics, smokers, people with food and drug addictions, drug and sex addicts, I work with them all. Having worked with so many for so many years, it's hard to overlook one obvious fact, that there's an interesting commonality that they all share with each other, just about all, especially addicts, drug addicts, and alcoholics, some to a greater degree than others, but all of them experience what is very often called depression. Now, this comes as no surprise to you, I'm sure, especially if you've ever had a substance abuse problem yourself, or a loved one has, or maybe you have one now. What is surprising to consider is that the medical conclusions, the the clinical approaches, and the science devised to treat the symptoms of depression are based only on opinion of what depression even is. It's a consensus of opinion, yes, but still, just estimations. That's right. There's barely any hard science at all. Lots of data, but no conclusive science. This is... Shocking, I know, considering how many people suffer chronically from some form of depression who are under a doctor's care for it. You'd think that by now there'd be a a, a solution, a medical solution. There isn't, because depression isn't a medical problem. It isn't physiological. It isn't psychological. With the huge collection of data that's available, stacks of information, We only learn that literally all of it, at best, is inconclusive. You want to know what causes depression? They don't know. In fact, this whole field of study, called psychology, can't even be thought of as a true science. Now look, that's not to say it's all garbage. I'm not saying that. Even a a broken clock is right at least twice a day, right? More than that. Psychological study has undeniably had enormous benefits. It's helped unravel some of the most baffling mysteries of our human behavior. Out of conjecture comes marvelous discovery. It's true, but still, conjecture is not proven fact. And psychology is a field of study that's forever based in theory and hypothesis. And that's all it is. Models, concepts, guesswork. No wonder that when it comes to what's called Depression, people simply do not get well when they're under the care of psychologists and medicine. And I'm even taking it a little further to say that ultimately, they only get worse once they turn their lives and wills over to doctors. Despite all the data, all the studies, all the cases ever looked at, the medical world still has no idea of what causes depression, or what they call depression. And consequently, they can't cure it. It's all a big experiment coming to no final conclusion, no real solution. Drugs, drugs is all they've got, chemicals. Not to cure, but to cover up the symptoms of the cause. And that is dangerous. You medicate over the symptoms without a remedy for the cause of that symptom, and you're playing with fire, with people's lives. You're pretending to help them, and you're not. It's terrible. They have no solution. Just a numbing of effects that gives a false appearance of making progress. The problem with that is that with false solutions like drugs, 
You also have the false hope of becoming better while the cause remains. It's continuing to devour you from the inside out. Not only are you getting worse, you continue to do the things that made you miserable in the first place. You don't change. You die. You feel a little better, you get worse, and then you die. Now, on the other hand, there are those who take a proper metaphysical approach and become completely cured of depression. They experience mental health that no clinician, no doctor can even hope to touch. The medical world wants to treat, and in fact, attempts to treat, a lot of conditions for which they have no treatment. Depression is just a major one, but if you ask a doctor, if he's honest, and there are honest doctors, of course there are, but if he's honest, he will admit that his ideas about treating depression are just opinions emanating out of pure subjectivity and collegiate studies in a field that is founded on mountains of theoretic data and very little fact. Even the, the physiological markers for what medicine has identified as clinical or major depression, they're still only symptoms of an underlying cause. That cause is metaphysical, not physical. Science is way over their heads on this, and it's unfortunate that so many people have to needlessly continue to suffer under their care while they attempt to work so far out of their league, pretending to know something that they don't. If anyone suffering from depression can get to its cause and solve that, then the need to medicate over the symptoms with prescription drugs or self-prescribed chemicals too, like nicotine, cocaine, other recreational drugs, food, Food is a treatment for depression and, and, and anxiety. And you end up abusing it. They can't stop. But if they can cure the cause first, then the need for these substances and the behaviors is spontaneously eliminated. You do that. You get to the cause. And you become cured of depression and find you can allow something very interesting you can allow a professional doctor to safely wean you off medications. The side effects of those medications and the withdrawal can be pretty rough, even devastating if attempted abruptly, and it needs to be medically monitored. It's on a do-it-yourself project. I say that, so don't go telling people that I said anyone should go throw away their prescription bottles. I know some of you do that successfully. You taper yourself. I get that. But really, you need to go to the people who got you addicted to get you physically weaned or trained on how to taper safely. These are very invasive chemicals, and once the need is gone, then the person who's been made dependent on them can come off them. Now watch this. Once they lose the need, they can also stop the self-prescribed medications. The smoking, the overeating, the oversexing. They get off these other addictive substances, and they can regulate their behavior because the need anxiety that these bad habits treat, these obsessions, is relieved. No more need, no more obsessions. All gone. Poof. Disappeared. This is a permanent solution that's not a cover-up, but a real cure to anxiety and what is termed as depression. Two separate things, I know. But they get handled together. It is a spiritual awakening, yes, but even more important, is what follows that awakening experience. Lots of people have awakenings. They get a rush, they receive some benefit, and then they throw it all away. They don't change. Either the awakening was phony in the first place or they just weren't ready to commit. Maybe they 
pursued it selfishly. A quick fix. No good. Doesn't last. A real spiritual awakening sets you apart from your emotional state that's wrought with anger and judgment. You get free of it. But then that solution has to be followed by ongoing, progressive, conscious contact with your creator. Or else it falls apart. You revert back. It takes what I call intuitive consciousness. And that's something that doctors and, and professionals, they're untrained for it. They're ill-equipped to deliver it. They probably don't believe in it anyway. There are a few, I'm sure. But you won't find it in a church. You won't find it in religions, in cults, in psychologists' offices or hospital laboratories. You will only find it one way, by going within, in stillness, not quiet, not in an isolation tank or mumbling platitudes in your head or trancing yourself in the blissful oblivion. That's all artificial. It's temporary. Stillness. And with becoming still, the true you wakes up out of a trance you didn't even know you were in. And all your need for distraction and relief just falls away. You become human again. You're able to experience forgiveness. You're free. No more the slave. You stop playing God. Because you're awake. And you can see clearly that you're not him. You're you. And God is God. You're not one. He is the creator. You are the created. I don't mean to get religious, because I'm not. But that is the truth. And you believe this, not because you read it somewhere, not because you heard me say it, but it's revealed to you through intuitive, mindful consciousness. It is a humbling experience. What clinicians call depression is due to a metaphysical process that involves an ego self-entity. It's a condition that's only reversed metaphysically. You need supernatural help. So yes, there is an antidote to depression, but first you have to stop hating. And you can't do that until you learn to become still. Then you can forgive, truly. Not like a God forgives. You can't absolve sins, take away people's sins. But you can stand back and view the world from a position of neutrality, free of emotional judgment, you stop being the arbiter of good and bad, good and evil, worthy or not worthy, that's playing God. And when you stop doing that, you stop judging, you stop judging yourself too. You stop condemning yourself to hell. And then your depression goes away. Because you detach from something inside you that's the real culprit, something in you that's not you, playing God. It's the only thing that works, but it works absolutely. And uh, Dan, are you here? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> but you know, a lot of people. Uh, you read my you read my mail, my emails, and and responses, replies. A lot of the messages that I get online and all of that stuff, right? The ones I am privy to, right. I've been saying a lot of stuff about depression, what, what they call depression for a long time. People get very upset when I talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. especially people who are on medications because they, I'm basically telling them they're wrong. And, yeah. And I don't mean to come down at anyone individually, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not a cleric. I don't diagnose diseases. I don't prescribe medications. I'm just telling my experience with what they call depression. I'm, I always phrase it that way. I never... 
rarely, if it's a slip of the tongue if I just say depression, but I'm usually saying what they call depression because what they call depression is just a word. Okay. It's just a label that they use to to describe a collection of symptoms that they, you know, that fit their criteria for, right. for what they consider to be a disease. Depression isn't even a disease. It's ridiculous. So. Well, the way I think about it, um, basically mental illness, depression specifically we're talking about, right. is uh, treating depression, how clinically treating depression, um, comparing it to treating something like the flu, treating influenza, which is a virus. Right. You see it under a microscope. Right. It gets inside you. Right. We know it's in you. Right. You have it. Right. And we know how to treat it. Right. Okay. We know what responds to it. Even if it's just, okay, this goes away, your body fights it, we know your body will get rid of it, let's treat the symptoms, and then it will go away okay. temporarily. Sure. But with depression, we don't even have an underlying cause that we've identified. There's no microscope. There's no virus that we see. Well, science hasn't. I, ha I, I know what it is. I'm talking about clinically treating it. Oh, I see. From a doctor's point of view. Yes, right. From a doctor's point of view, right. all depression is, is a set of symptoms. That right. is what they call depression. Right. Is a set of symptoms. That's correct. When all these symptoms happen, we call it depression. Right. We don't know what caused it. We don't know what caused it. Well, that's true. We can see, find correlation between negative events happening in, happening in your life, uh, bad childhood experiences, and now you get this way. The only thing we can do is try and mask the symptoms. That's it. That that's all it. we do. Right. That is true. Well, that's what happens. We have descriptions of what's called certain diseases, conditions, mm. and we think that that's the cause. For instance, they can look at the neurology in the brain of someone who's depressed, and they can see they can see things happening, like in an MRI, let's say, right? So they can look. Is it would they use an MRI, or or is it a CAT scan? Or I don't know. Whatever they use, they have this. They have they have imaging, right? Where they can see things happening in the brain of a depressed person, like a happy person, brain activity, brain mean. activity. Okay. They can see these neurological responses within the brain, right? Yes. So they look at that as if it's the cause, but that's not the cause. That's also an effect of an original cause. Right. See, they don't go far enough and they can't go far enough because if they go too far, they step out of their realm to something that they can't treat because they don't, they just- You mean step out of their, their science? Step out of their science, yeah. Yes. The science, the scientific did, realm. Right. I don't know if you meant a, uh, a physical realm. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, it's a physical realm. Yeah. But, well, it's a metaphysical realm where this originates. Mm. And it's very, very difficult to, because uh, when someone is in the throes of a depression, see, I, I you know, I had um, years ago, as a lot of people know, I got away from a lot of the stuff that I talk about for, for a brief period of time. And I was given uh, depression medications. Antidepressants? Antidepressants for, uh, is that what they call them? Oh, by the way, I just want to say while we're talking about this, listeners, we're in a new studio now, totally new setup. And I like, we have it set up a little bit differently where I'm actually facing Danny. We're, we're actually facing each other. I like this. I like looking in your eyes. I wasn't really looking in your eyes when we were, when we were doing our- uh, I, was, I was further away. You were further before. away. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're real close. Closer, yeah. This is almost like Joe Rogan style. Well, we have a big wooden table. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not as big. Well, this is my this is my personal desk. It's, yes. pre it's pretty yes. good size, though. But um, if you saw my desk, you'd say, "Why does that guy have a, a beat up old desk like that?" I don't know. It's it's patina. You were saying you were prescribed antidepressants. Oh yeah, I was prescribed antidepressants, and um, and they worked. Yeah, yeah, they worked. But the problem with the problem with them was they worked. That was the problem with them. You know? Well, they didn't work. 
Well, they they I was feeling better, but so they were masking the symptoms. They were masking the symptoms. The way I usually put it, you know, in some of the books that I've written and stuff like that, in blogs, the uh, the analogy that I like to use is it's like if you have a if you if you're driving your car and your the dash the idiot light in your dashboard says check engine, right? So you take a black piece of tape and you cover it over. And you drive off saying, oh, my car's fixed. I don't, I don't see the check engine. I don't have to look at that light anymore. I don't have to look at that light anymore. Anxiety is telling you something. Depression is uh, depression is an emotional response, but it's re- emotionally responding to conditions that are outside of you and you transfer them, you project them inside of you. That's not psychology. That's spiritual. That's a spiritual what, thing. What do you mean? Well, you judge, you're a judgmental, angry person. Okay. Period. Right. Right? So- you're doing that, you're feeding this thing inside of you. You're feeding this mm-hmm. old self, this dark entity that that lives inside of you. Yes. And it gets so big, it, I mean, it gets strengthened that pretty soon you can't tell where, where you end and it begins. Your thoughts become its thoughts. You don't know, you don't have any thoughts. It is thinking through you. And it starts to tell you stuff and it starts to judge you and condemn you, just like it judges. You know how you've experienced judgment you've judged somebody right haven't yes. you okay that's you judging someone well what happens when you when that thing gets so uh strong so dominant okay it's an energy that it begins to judge you right so that's where you have manic depression because people judge themselves as being worthy or they judge themselves as being unworthy so they're sending themselves like a god to heaven or hell yeah and that's what happens to they call it, they have a name for that. I don't call it, I don't call it manic depression. Well, is it still, it's bipolar now, right? No, no, no. It's, um, sorry. Yes. Manic depression. Yes. Now they call it bipolar. Correct. Right. Correct. I'm, I'm using an old fashioned term. Yes. Yeah. So now they call it. It's bi- good, good Jimi Hendrix song though. Oh yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's a great Jimi. Yeah. It's one of my, it's one of the great, uh, well, anyway, I don't want to get into that. Jimi Hendrix had like, like a great run. That was so short, right? Cuts short right. so fast, right? From drug abuse. Yes, it was, right? Yeah, that's right. Which is sad because he had some great songs, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, you're boom, done. He's gone. I yeah, know. I remember. Terrible. It was so. I was young at the time. I was a young teenager, but I I loved listening at that time. Well, I, I got so into music at that time. The thing is, you look escape. at him, you look at him play, right? And sing and everything, and right. you're like, you can tell he's on a he he he's on a train out of control. Yeah. He's, he's, he's really into his music and he's really good. Right. You're like, I don't think he's in control of what he's doing right now. No. When you see people who are so good. I know. You who are so good at their art, so good at what they do. Right. Like, I'm not sure that this person is sane. I know. <laughs> you know? I know. You look at, like, I look, like I'm going to use Hendrix as an example. You look yeah. at him and you watch him play, right? And it's like, like you say, he's like a train out of control. You said, wait a minute. He didn't plan this. Yeah. Right. So they call that creativity. Right. But and, but it's translated into into the mechanics of the guitar playing and this. They try to uh, you know people try to put that in a bottle and 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 instill it in other people. Yeah. That you can't do it. That he's he is. You know what? When he's playing, he is insane. Right. Absolutely. He's totally insane. And there's a reason for it. If you look at his background, by the way, no one's supposed to ever be that good at playing guitar. <laughs> you should never be that good. I that means it doesn't mean you had too much. It's almost like saying you had too much time on your hands. I don't know if it's I like agree. The, you had too much pain. But there is yes, there is something to say about about excellence 
and crafting your your right, art right to make, it, to make it great. But Jimi Hendrix is too wild. It's he's too excellent. Yeah, you're not supposed to be that excellent. Right. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's unhealthy to be that. Ec- I know. I know. I'm 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 always you know trying to make things excellent. We're always working on the sound system. I'm to I'm it. a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to things. Things have to be right. They have. To I, be I right. call myself a perfectionist. You know, it's a humbling term, but I think it is a good thing, too. There's ways to do things perfectly and have them right because they're supposed to be that way. Right. And there's just like anything else. And have the else, patience but, to, to work at it and make it right. But you can abuse that. Yeah. And you could use that as a drug. Yes. If you need. Right. If you need that, 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 you know, that, that numbing effect. Yes. Some people get off on being perfect. Right. You can be perfect because it's necessary. But if you're getting an emotional, um, emotional stimulation out of perfection, mm-hmm. you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. Right. So we were talking about depression. We got a little a little bit sidetracked there. But um, I just wanted to, to mention, you know, I'm a very strong advocate for uh, seeking professional medical guidance when it's necessary. And there is a, a, a school of thought which says, well, some people need antidepressants. Okay. I don't, I don't join them. You mean they were like born with this, right. this the, brain, yeah, the this whole chemical chemi- imbalance. The whole chemical imbalance thing is a sham, Right. I've written about that in some of my blogs. It was totally, totally put on people. It's totally not true, unproven to this day. So it's a marketing. It, it was a marketing gimmick. thing to, to sell. You can go on the internet and find out all about that stuff. For, in what uh, decade? 60s, 70s? Uh, I, think, I think it sort of blossomed in the 50s and maybe carried into the, into the, uh, into the 60s. Yeah. But by the 70s, and it, I mean, they just, it was basically a marketing ploy to get, to, to get a doc, because pharmaceutical companies need doctors to move their product. So they basically invented this this depression thing, okay, and this chemical imbalance thing to handle these symptoms that doctors were getting for peop- from people, and they saw that as a way of, of balancing an imbalance in the brain. Absolutely, they have no way of measuring that. Yeah. They just made it up. Right. They just, t- it was totally fabricated. So there are people today, you know, I work with a lot of people in, uh, who go to like recovery fellowships, like 12, you know, 12 steps and stuff like that, um, for alcohol- alcoholism and drug addiction. Every single one of them has, dep- has depression, yeah. right? And they're told that they have this chemical imbalance, and they're walking around thinking, oh, I have a chemical imbalance, and I think it's pill, and it balances my chemicals. It's bullshit. Okay. So it's just not true, and, and it's been disproven, and it's a total sham, and they're still walking around saying that. So they're not balancing it. Maybe they're balancing chemicals in the brain. I don't know, but it's not due to an imbalance. And if it is due to an imbalance that they've never discovered, really, okay, serotonin and dopamine, they, if it is due to an imbalance- and there is some uh, there is some evidence that it, that it could be, so that's why they go with it. But if there if it were, that's also an effect of an original cause. They're just looking at another symptom, right? Except they've narrowed it down to a, to a physiological observation. If yeah. they went that far and they haven't gone that far, yeah. So it's kind of weird. So and there is such a there is an easy an easy uh, cure for depression. So easy. I used to take. Um, I don't. I, I'm definitely not one of these people who. Uh, hey. Uh, I had depression and I had this and I had that and I got over it. And if I could do it, you can do it too. No, not everybody can do it. I'm not you're holding myself up as an example that way. But I will say that uh, I had, they had, I was taking, um, uh, what would they have me? Effexor. I had Wellbutrin. I had Lexapro. I had all these SSRIs, which adjust the, uh, the serotonin, right? The, right. And um, the reuptake, they call it. I had those medications and I was feeling worse. 
I would the med the the pre, the symptoms of the depression were gone. Yeah, but I could feel within myself. I could feel the anger building up. The anger yeah. was building up. You know, and then I felt it change, and then went back to the doctor, and I said, "Well, something else is wrong." And they they adjusted it. You know, they just I mean, okay, well, I'll give you less of this and more yep. of that, and we'll take that. So they said, they well, just changed the amounts. They changed just changed the, change the amounts, and they the switch over the medication. Well, this one only handles dopamine, so we're going to switch over this one, which is which is which is uh, uh, serotonin. And we're going to. And then I realized, I said to uh, the uh, doctor, her name was Wendy, I remember. I said to her, how long am I going to, I've been on this for like for a year. Uh, how long am I going to, we're still playing with it. How long is this going to go for? She said, oh, you're, you're on these forever. <laughs> what? You didn't tell me that a year ago. Yeah. You're always going to, I'm always going to take these? I, she said, yeah. And I went away and uh, I don't remember how long ago. It was just too long, too many years ago. It was a couple of decades ago. Yeah. But, uh. I went back and I said, um, "How uh, I want to come off of these things. I don't think I need them anymore." Because I I was back to uh, doing what I do to uh, you know my my consciousness connection with, and uh, she weaned me off of them very very successfully. Never gone. They were amazed. They couldn't believe that I didn't need them anymore. Yeah, but they were happy. She was good. I liked her. Okay. Yeah. She she wasn't like no you you. You're going to kill yourself. You're, I hear people say they go to the doctor that, uh, and they want to uh, come off of the come off of their medication. They, they they meditate, right? They use a non-contemplative meditation. They use what? Non-contemplative meditation yes. that we that we do, and uh, and they start to feel better, and they go back to the doctor and say, "Well, I want to wean off of these things right now. I'm pretty sure I don't need them anymore." And the doctor say, "Oh no, you, yeah. you have this. They, yeah, they turn them down." I tell them go find another doctor. I've but they have to but they have to have a doctor. I have had friends who have gone to the doctor, right, and. Just tell them things like, oh, yeah, like because the doctors, they probe you, right? They ask, like, oh, are you feeling okay? Like, are you sad? They ask you these questions oh, yeah, right. when you go there for your physical. Do you have a gun in your house? Do you have a gun in your house? Oh, that's a great like, one. Uh, maybe, I flipped out maybe. when I heard that one first. Yeah, no, that, that one's a weird one. Um, hey, that's none of your business. I remember the doctor asked you that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they, they probe you with these questions to try and identify your mental state. Right. And I've had friends that have that have been open and said, oh yeah, yeah, I'm feeling okay. Yeah, a little little tired this week or something like that. And the doctors try and get them on antidepressants. Right. They push them right. onto these people. They do. Or I've had friends trying to lose weight right. who uh, they've cut down their calories. Right. You know, we've cut down our calories before. Right. And we've cut it down to levels that like doctors say, no, you shouldn't do that. Stuff like that. And we're not advising that, but there are different things you can do. Right. And lots of people do. And- you tell the doctor this and they say, oh, yes, you're, you're a binge eater. You're a, you know, you have, you have a problem and, you know, right. we're going to give you some, some medication to help you mentally with these things. Yes. And it's just, it's just people living their lives sometimes. Right. And it's terrible. Every, this is the solution. Oh my God, you're sad. How long have you been sad? Is it two weeks? If it's two weeks, we're going to give you some medication. Yeah. Well, it's not two weeks. I think they, uh, they have, a, they do have a, a I, I just a, made that a, up. A time criteria. Yeah. There do. is. It might be six weeks or. Yeah. Six, so you're six, not, you're not depressed. Six months. I don't you're know. not depressed unless you've been sad for a certain amount of time, at right. which point you become depressed. Yeah. So on the 29th, I became eligible for antidepressants. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's not good. No, that's, that's not, not good. good. That's Same not way good. we were talking about, um, I have a slight curvature in my back. Right. And we were, we were talking about how I look up, can I get treatment for this? Is there treatment for this? No, the curvature has to be this, these much degrees or more. They don't care. Right. It has to be a certain degree. Yeah. If, if it's not, if, if, if the angle isn't large enough, right. they don't want to treat oh, it. Oh, I know. I well, know. what if, what if it's a little, 
uncomfortable. I want, I want, I would rather my spine be correct. Right. Now, you know, we don't treat people under this certain curvature. Right. Okay. Well, it's the same thing with me. We were talking about this earlier. Um, one of my, my left leg is one centimeter shorter than my right, than my right leg. Yeah. Okay. And, but I've never had that treated. No one's ever said, oh, that's bad. So now I have this misalignment of my, my pelvic bone and- Yes. And I'm having- Your hips, right? My, yeah. So it's like, it's causing pain. So it's like one of my nerves is getting pinched and they don't want to treat it unless it's like 1.5 centimeters. Then it's, then it's beginning to say, okay, well, we're, now we're going to watch it. And they don't even give you a treatment until it's like three centimeters. Right. Whatever they have. Yes, I think I think it's something. I think it's as high as three. So I'm like, wait a minute. This thing has been this way for all of my life. It's never been corrected. Had it been corrected, I would not have this pinched nerve in my spine right now. Right. Right. And I would not also have this. This. Uh, I have a slight scoliosis in my upper back. Yeah. De compensate. Degenerative scoliosis. Right. No, not degenerative. It's, oh, okay. That's something else. That's uh, your vertebrae. The discs in your vertebrae shrink. It's called degenerative yes. uh, shrinkage, whatever they call it. No, no, this is that happens as you get older. And I'm getting old, but uh, no, this this is this is a slight scoliosis yeah. where, where your your spine actually shifts, and it's called mild. It's you know it's right. not causing me any troubles, you know. But still, it didn't have to happen. No, it didn't have to happen. No. Had they corrected this earlier. All they're interested in is- By the way, the curve I was talking about, it's not the natural curve in my back. I'm talking about like a right or left <clears> one <throat> right. curve. It's a little bit off. Right. And- oh, Mine's way off, more off than yours. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I've seen the picture. They won't correct it. Right. The, the it's actual, not enough. The it's actual not enough treatment, for them. If you look up the treatment for right. scoliosis, yep. the first one, the right. first treatment is called watch and wait. Ooh. That is the treatment. And what does that mean? Wait it means they measure it and then they come back later and measure it to see if it's gotten worse. Well, this is interesting. That's what they do. And if it's gotten worse and it hurts, then they'll try something else like a brace or, or even surgery in, in extreme cases. It sounds like they've been listening to me. All you do is watch. All just, you do is watch, watch and do nothing about it. Right. Well, I don't know about a, a, a <laughs> physical ailment such as such as a, a bone problem. Right. <laughs> Your bones will shift. My my back's wrong. Oh, we're, we're just going to watch it. If it gets worse, we'll treat it. Not until then. It sounds very- It's, it's uh, not right. It sounds very quantum. If you're watching it, it will get better. Yes, and if, if you, you watch it, it gets better. If you don't, it... I don't know. It, it curves. It curves when you're not watching. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's almost like triage. They're treating those who need it the most, but it shouldn't be. I'll we're not what, talking, but we're not in a uh, you know medical crisis. No, but what it has to do with, it has to do with the insurance companies who pay for these things, okay? And they and they have premiums from they, that they take from people mm -hmm. that pay for these things. And if they paid for everything that was really wrong with you, there wouldn't be enough money to go around. Yeah. So they have to set minimum barriers that unless you cross them, there's not going to be a payment. So they wouldn't get you paid. Oh, no, sorry. We can't treat you for that. I mean, you can get treated for it if you're willing to pay for it. But yeah. but we have we have a very good insurance plan. There are- it doesn't, And it's still as good as it is. It doesn't pay for that. There are methods people use to supposedly treat scoliosis. Right. Um, breathing techniques that I think chiropractors um, employ- Right. Um, breathing techniques, also like uh, muscle memory, they have you balance and it's supposed to realign your spine a certain way. Um, the thing is, there's no uh, clinically recognized research or there isn't enough for this to be a, a mainstream right. treatment. It's just some people do this. Did you know that um, my original calling was to be a, chiro a chiropractor? Your, your calling? My original calling. I think you told me that. Yeah, I was going to be a chiropractor. It's weird. <laughs> 
And I went to, I, re, I, I started going to uh, City College in New York and uh, I had to take bio lab and it was a, th- I don't, it was a three hour lab. Sounds about right. On a Monday morning that I had to be there at 630 in the morning for. Okay. Well, I went my, that was the end of my chiropractic career yeah. right there. I couldn't, I, L- labs are usually, from my experience, are like late at night for the ones I've, t- I've, I've actually only had one lab in college. Oh God. I had this, I had this lab partner was this girl and I had to share her microscope. She was mad at me one day because I didn't put the microscope away or something. And then she wouldn't talk to me. And that's how am I going to work with this person? Yeah. And, uh, and then it was six thirty in the morning and I just said, oh, forget it. Yeah. I'm not going to be a chiropractor. So anyway. So we're going to do questions. Okay. Yes. Keep sending in your questions. You can uh, go right on the website and there's a there's a form. If you go to the podcast section, there's a form where you can put your name and then um, put, uh, put a question there. Send a question and we'll answer them. Okay. So first question from Ella. Ella. Have you ever read This Naked Mind? If so, what are your thoughts on it? I do not look at pornography <laughs> at all. Somehow I don't think that that's... No. Um, This Naked Mind is a book about um, uh, quitting drinking. Oh. Naked Mind? Yes. And I've looked into it a little bit. Okay. Um, The idea is that you want to stop drinking, but you can't. Right. Because subconsciously... This oh. is the this is the theory. Here Subconsciously, yeah. you want to keep drinking right. because of the societal pressure that has been placed on you to have fun and be social and, uh, and stop, drinking. Stop, stop. Okay. Sub- first of all, they don't is this written by Don't the, you want to know the rest? Isn't this interesting? I know the rest. Okay. It's all bullshit. <laughs> okay. Once you start talking all right, you you can say the rest, but I want but I want to interject. Go ahead. Okay. First of all, once you start talking like that. The person that is proposing this, okay, is talking about controlling the mind, controlling the brain, right? Controlling thinking. Yes. Behavior modification. Yes. Right? Uh, uh, I can't think of the uh, uh, cognitive behavior therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy, they call it. Okay. That means you're going to train, retrain your mind to doing one thing. You're going to delve into the subconscious and, and manipulate it and make it do other things that it would be doing otherwise if it didn't do that. And that the societal pressures is what forced it into it. Yes. Right? That's hogwash. It's total, it's total, that's what I taught, that's what I mean about psychology. They have these things that, now the thing is, here's the thing with that. It does work a bit. You can actually train a human being like a dog. <laughs> Wrap it in the nose and, and, or give it a shock or whatever. A, a Pavlov. A Pavlov. A, a Pavlov, a yeah. A Pavlov human. Right. Yeah. Like we saw that uh, we saw that Pavlock on uh, Shark Tank or somewhere. Oh. Right. Somewhere yeah, people yeah. eat a donut and it gives them. They have a ring around their neck. <laughs> that and, was, it sh- and it shocks them. Oh right? my god, that is so scary. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's treating humans like like animals. Right. Well, we're not animals. We have a conscience. The problem is you can engage these these uh, these mechanisms that they've developed for. To, to control human behavior, to modify your behavior. And you will actually modify because you can actually train that part of that animal part of you like 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 a dog or a monkey. Yeah. But you're not changing. You're not changing at all. And so you actually get worse. It's the same thing as medicating. And while you still get worse, well, now you're, you're changing your behavior and it looks good. But here's what will happen. You'll still remain emotional. Right. Anybody who has behavioral 
modification therapy, okay, will become overly emotional and they won't be able to control their emotions. And eventually it'll catch up with them. It'll express in other diseases because all that emotion, it's energy inside of you and it will express in other ways that, that are bad. If, if you know. Anger has a very horrible effect on the heart and on the pulmonary system. When you have, when you're harboring emotions, anger, uh, and guilt too, you have to compensate for that somehow. And in well, this- Now, hold on. I want to separate guilt from that. Yeah, go ahead. Because you will feel guilt, but guilt is not the emotion. It, it, you can no, call I wasn't it, calling it emotion, but- The guilt is the result of the emotion. Sure. In other words, you feel, when you're emotional, you're going to feel guilty for it. Right. So okay. when you feel that guilt- Yes. And it feels bad. Right. It's telling you to not be so emotional. But the only f- physical way we have to deal with that is to try and mask it by abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, abusing sex, food, right. things like that. That's, right. that's how we impulsively do it. That is the, yes. So any way that you've found to try and get rid of any of these bad habits right. that doesn't involve directly addressing the guilt right. that you have, right. it will it will just manifest itself somewhere else. That's, that's it. Tr- that's true. That's it. You just displace it. It's like stepping on a, you know, it's like stepping on a water balloon. It just goes this, that doesn't pop. It just goes from this side to that, to the other side. Something as simple as, damn, I had, I had too much cereal. It was so good. And I had a second bowl and I really wish I didn't. Yeah. I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay. Things as small as that. Yeah. still have root in something, some form of guilt or some form of, of anger. So if you don't address that, even in the smallest ways, you will not be successful in your efforts to curb your bad habits and curb your behavior. Well, you'll do something else that that second bowl of cereal would have satisfied. You'll do something else. Right. Like you'll smoke a cigarette. Right. Or you'll have two cigarettes instead of one if you already smoke. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Right. Well, that's why... That's why in AA meetings, people are so fat. Or you'll listen to some more music. You'll listen to music more. <laughs> well, that's Who knows? true. Something like that. But the, the point I'm making is that even in small ways, right. you should realize that that's what's happening in, in almost everything you do. Yes. In every excessive pleasure you take to any degree, that's probably what's happening. Yes. You can substitute one pleasure for another. Yeah. It's serving the same purpose. You're basically even abusing small, your own- Even in small ways. You're abusing your own biochemistry in your brain. And, and and that's why people become people pleasers. That's why be, they they seek approval mm-hmm. from other people. Your mother's like that. Your mother's an approval seeker. She looks for my approval all the time. Yeah. Right. So if she and takes the families in general too, it's a very womanly thing to do. It's to seek approval from because they didn't get approval from their fathers or whatever. But if you seek appro- you could be seeking approval from someone and get that approval, even a pat on the back or a kiss on the cheek, that adjusts your your brain chemistry yeah. to the point where you're actually feeling better than you did before. Right. Well, the problem with things like the medications or or cognitive behavior modification systems is that you start to feel better than you deserve to feel because your anxiety was actually there trying to serve you to tell you, hey, stop doing that. Yeah. And now you stop doing it, but now you start doing something else and you think you've solved the problem, but you're going to wind up feeling just as bad as had you had you continued that one behavior. You're just trading one behavior, as they say, trading seats on the Titanic. Yes. Right? The, the ship's still going down. And what I was saying is, the point I was making is that even in small ways, 
that's still exactly what's going on when you're deriving little bits of pleasure from things. Yes. Such as having an extra bowl of cereal or yeah. something like that. Yeah. That's still exactly what you're doing. It might not, it has not manifested in such an extreme way where it is a societal taboo. Oh, like, yeah, right. Like alcoholism. Right. That's still, that's exactly what's going on is you're compensating for some, for some guilt from some judgment that you've had. Correct. Most people don't have, most people don't specialize. If you specialize in eating lots of bowls of cereal, you'll just become this big, fat, 300-pound diabetic person. And they exist, right? Because you're using that. But most people don't do that. Most people take just one bowl of cereal. Mm -hmm. And then they'll indulge in sports and get emotional pleasure out of that. They, they spread their pleasures around so that they remain socially acceptable, acceptable people. Yeah. You know, they yeah. still exist in society. Right. 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 So someone will drink, you know, then get loaded on a weekend once a month or something like that. Or they're not going to become a uh, an outright adulter adulteress or philanderer. But, you know, if the right person came along, <laughs> you know, they might have a little quickie here and there and not tell anybody. Or really, or indulge in pornography. Could you phrase that in a, in a less appealing way? <laughs> a less appealing way? Have a little quickie. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Well, you know. I don't like to hear my dad speak this way. Okay. Well, it's cringy. But people spread their yes. vices around. So that's what I'm saying. They're bad. I'm saying habits. even in little ways, right? Pe most people are compensating for for some guilt that they yes, feel. and the, and they have a smorgasbord of vices, little vices that are acceptable. Nobody's going. No one cares much if someone sneaks out and has a smoke once in a while. Yeah. Okay. But if you sit there and your fingers are yellow and you're and a big cloud of smoke is they're going to yeah. say, wow, that guy's a big problem. Let's stay away from him. Yes. You have to remain uh, sociable so that people can enjoy your presence. You know, you need friends, right? Yeah. So you lose them all. Okay. Okay. Any more questions? Or did we finish with that one? Yeah, we finished with that one. Yeah. I don't, I don't read books like that. I, I'm not looking. It's a, it's a recovery book, an alcoholism book. Yes. Yeah. So- I, I have the solution for alcoholism already. Yeah. So I'm not looking for that one. As a matter of fact, that is not the solution for alcoholism. That is a substitute for alcohol. All you're going to do is get worse and worse and worse, and you're going to become an emotional wreck and probably uh, justify it as one of your, just, you were born that way. But the emotions will eventually catch up with you. You'll have to substitute food for the alcohol. You'll become a fat pig or a chain smoker or... An approval seeker, something else will will take the place of the alcohol, and that's that's never a good thing, right? Okay, so is that enough? Yeah, we, uh, we'll be answering more questions next time. Yeah, sure. As usual, keep right. sending your questions. Go to Schwarzhoff Media. Even if I think they're stupid, <laughs> go to Schwarzhoff Media. Click the podcast. Ask, ask, please. Ask questions. Ask detailed questions. Don't ask. Que I'm not uh, putting anybody down for their. We we get we get a lot of very good questions. Very good questions. But some of the questions just want to know the mechanics of meditation. All of the all of the answers, if you listen to the pre-talk, if you listen to the post-talk, and if you practice it, these questions get answered. Okay? I if you have a particular problem that you want to talk about and that you want to reveal or if you want to you want some feedback on, that's fine. But don't ask me, you know, should I close my eyes? What happens if my eyes only close halfway? I don't I can't answer questions like that. Well, if you do have a question like that, if you have something more, uh, I guess, more personal, very specific, yes. you can message my dad. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he'll talk to you. Totally. Um, 
that's the best way to take care of questions like that. Right, but mechanical questions about meditation, it's just not interesting to other people, and it doesn't help you. The questions will get answered as you practice. If you're not going to practice, of course, if you're just looking for an education, if you're just looking for me to satisfy curiosity before you start, I'm not interested in talking about that. I just can't. Okay, so... <laughs> I, sound very, I sound cruel. That's it for today. Yeah, that's it for today. Uh, I was saying I was saying you can submit uh, questions. Go to schwarzhoffmedia.com, click right. podcast, and there's a form that you can fill out. You know, you just type your question and hit submit, and uh, we will be happy to look at those. You know, we, we like receiving your questions. Yes, and this is episode number 10, and that's it for today. Thanks for joining. Visit my website. Did you give the website address? Schwarzhoffmedia.com. Okay, lots of free stuff there, lots of videos, articles. Sign up for a news uh, newsletter that goes out. Or, or I'm you sorry. S- I didn't mean to speak while you were interrupting. You can sign up for the email. The email sign up is there. Uh, we send out an email right. once a week. My dad um, writes something up specific that just goes especially to our email subscribers, so you can sign up there. Right, and you've heard us talking about the, uh, the meditation. It's, it's there, it's free. There's no, there's no charge for it. And um, that's it. Thanks for listening. This has been episode number 10. Yes. We'll see you next time.